So um, I know uh, <clears throat> during this time, uh, some people, and I apologize for some of us who are not really into soccer, um, some people are also kind of watching the soccer game, the World Cup that is going on, and um, the, one of the, uh, the one of the most memorable goals. It's not. I, I'm not saying that because I'm Korean, right? Uh, but I mean, a lot of people that uh, have been following it said uh, th there was a game uh, between Korea uh, and Portugal, and when they were playing. Uh, the chance of Korea advancing to the, to the next round, the round of 16, was less than 10%. Like six to 8% was the chance that was given to them. Portugal is like number nine, rated number nine uh, in the world. Korea, 28, or something like that, according to the FIFA, the, the governing body. So they're not supposed to be like really a good match to the Portugal, and you know, even the people who are not into soccer, they know, like Ronaldo, right? Uh, he's like the world-famous soccer player, and so they got him and a bunch of other really good world-class people. So most people said, there's no way. Korea's, and they have to win. They had to win. And then also, um, in the other uh, game that was happening, they had to, there's like a scenario where they had to, certain things that must have happened for them to advance. So basically, um, it was a very slim chance and um, towards the end of the game, you know, it's 90, 90 minutes, 45 minutes first half, 45 minutes second half, and there was a stoppage time because you know, there's like a break in the, in the action. So at the end of the game, after 90 minutes, uh, the referee just gave him like five, six more minutes, and they were 1-1, one, one. score was 1-1, one, one. Um, and so everything seemed to be fading. Like all hopes were pretty much gone, um, and then, um, and so, as of that time, they were number four. There were four teams in the group, and they were fourth ranked because of all the not so great uh, record that they had pre to the previous matches. And then, uh, from their own uh, corner, uh, you know, Korea somehow got the ball from the uh, the corner kick that the Portugal was uh, hitting. And then Son Heung-min, he he's one of the he, he's the captain, um, and he got the ball. And it somehow, uh, it's like it was wide open, right? So he dribbled down, uh, carried the ball for like 80 yards, right? And you have to imagine, like, they didn't rest much, so he was so tired, but he, he you know, took the ball down 80 yards all by himself. But then by then, there were about three, four Portuguese uh, the defenders surrounded him. So he had nowhere to go. And then uh, he tried to buy some time, and then just when he was surrounded, there was another guy. Uh, he's also another, there are two uh, players that play in the English Premier League, and Huang Yi Chan, uh, he was sprinting down, uh, and he gave him, somehow there's like a little gap between the legs of the, the defenders, and he put the ball in, and he just sprinted down, and he scored a goal, right, in the overtime, basically. And everybody was going crazy. Whoa, this was so unexpected. So it's a uh, theatrical like, goal. Um, and um, the thing was, that guy who scored the goal, he, he couldn't even play in the previous games because he had hamstring issues, so he couldn't even run, right? So he came in at the second half of the, la the game against Portugal, the last game, they thought. Um, and so I heard the, the, the interview afterwards, and he said, yeah, you know, I wasn't sure if I could, but 
knowing that Son was like already taking the ball down there, I knew I had to just run and just, just support him or in the hopes. So he was just hoping that somehow the Son would just hold on to the ball, surrounded by like three or four like defenders, and just hold it just long enough that he could somehow, because he was way behind him, but he just sprinted down, and then he put him somehow, he found him, and then gave him the ball, and they scored a winning goal, right? And then so they were able to advance to the round of 16, which was their goal, right? And so and when I heard the uh, interview, there was this, the word that were stuck with me. It was the hope, right? They were hoping. Son was hoping that somebody would come for him to give him a, to, to pass the ball because he, he couldn't shoot. And Huang, he was also hoping that maybe somehow he would just you know, hold on to the ball long enough until I arrive uh, and somehow pass the ball surrounded by these huge uh, guys. So, you know, um, but I think for us Christians, hope is not a wishful thinking. For them, it was a wishful thing. They didn't know it was going to really happen. They were just hoping like, in a wishful way that some, hopefully somebody would just show up in time so that I can pass the ball. Um, and all of this like wishful thinking. But for us Christians, the hope is something that is sure. It's a certainty, right? We talk about like the guaranteed like deposit. Like when you are saying going to a ski trip or something, right? You put in the deposit, <clears throat> like a security deposit, right? To guarantee that you would actually get into that uh, or earn the spot. Um, so I'm going to come back to that a little more. But um, so that's something that we want to talk about today. You know, as we go through this season to discuss our proper response, I'd like us to consider uh, something other than the incarnation. Pastor Jay has been talking about the incarnation. Uh, so it, it, it's, just, it's the essence, right, of and just the right understanding that we are to have. But there's uh, another thing that I want us to consider, and that is that we are living in the, in a, uh, in the period of in-betweenness, in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, right? We are living in this period of in-betweenness. And so the first point that I want to uh, bring out to you is this point of already but not yet, right? Um, we are celebrating and remembering the first coming during this season, but that's not the end of the story. Jesus is coming back. We don't know the exact time, but all we know is that now that he hasn't come back yet, we are that much closer to his return. And there is a theolo- yeah, so the theological concept called already but not yet. So what do I mean? Uh, what, what does it mean? Is that through the work of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the church was born, the kingdom of God has come upon us, and we Christians are actively taking part in this kingdom, the kingdom of God. Although, although the kingdom will not reach uh, its full expression uh, until Christ returns. So we are in this in-between period. So we are already right, in the kingdom, but we do not yet see its full, in its full glory yet at the moment. Not yet. Right? First John, and there are many passages, uh, talks about... Uh, uh, talks about this concept, but in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, uh, it says this. Do you have that? 
First John chapter 3, verse 2, says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, talking about the second coming, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we here have the, the, an already. Yeah, we are God's children now, so we are already the children of God. We belong to Christ. For those of us who, are, who put our trust in him, we are already God's children now. And also at the same time, he's saying, but, but what will be has not yet, uh, has not yet appeared. So we have a not yet. We are already God's children, but who, who we truly will be right, without sin, right? beholding his glory, it has not happened yet. It's already, but not yet concept. We are living in, this, in between this period. Jesus has come 2,000 years ago, but he has not returned yet. He hasn't come back to restore everything to its original design. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, the whole creation has been suffering under the curse of sin. Actually, you know, Paul says in Romans that the whole creation has been groaning, right? The whole, it's every, the whole creation, it's not just us that's been affected. The whole creation has been just, been, uh, just you know, carrying the brunt of the curse of sin and suffering just as we are. The kingdom of God, or uh, in, in a way, at the reign where God reigns, has already come upon us, but it has not been fully realized in our midst. And the vast majority of the world still does not recognize God as king. They don't. They don't even believe in, his, believe in him. And it's not just the world. Even many Christians today do not fully acknowledge his kingship in their lives. We, uh, some Christians, they may, with their lips, they say, yeah, Jesus is my king, Jesus is my Lord, and yet, practically, they're like atheists. They don't really live like that truly God is king, right? God is their king. So because of this, because, because we live in this in-between period, right, before his first coming and his second coming, and because of all that's going on, because we still struggle with sin in our lives, even though Christ won the victory for us, we have this tension, right? Christ won the victory for us, and yet we still struggle with sin. We want to do what is right, and yet we still stumble, and we do what is not right. It, you know, in our head, it's like, oh, man, I think I need, I need to please God. I need to, uh, I want to, you know, love God and all this. But in reality, oftentimes, we find ourselves doing things that we are like, oh, why am I doing this? I know this is not right. And we end up doing this, right? There's that, this inner struggle, right? There's a tension. We are new creation in Christ, and yet we are scarred and weary because of this ongoing battle that is raging in our hearts. Right. Yeah, we are new creation, and yet we are scarred. There are a lot of things that are happening, weary and tired at times, frustrated. We've been set free from the bondage of sin and forgiven of our sins, and yet we still struggle with guilt and shame when we sin and when we realize it was sinful before God. We still struggle with this guilt. And we are, shamed, uh, we are shamed 
of a lot of things that we've done. We are filled with tension in our Christian life. And it is a fact of life. And that is the reality of Christian life. There's tension. Because if we know what to do and what's, what, what the true reality is, and yet because we are still you know, struggling with a sinful part, sinful nature in us, there's this tension. So if you have no or little tension in your Christian walk, then I say you really have to reevaluate your faith. If you truly are the children of God, that you, it's only natural for us to feel and have this tension always. If you're like, who carefree, and it's like, all is well, most likely that you're just too chummy, you're just friends, you know, with the world, right? And thus becoming enemies of God. So you should not be surprised by having this tension in your Christian walk. Living an authentic Christian life, it is countercultural and it's counterintuitive. Oftentimes, that's why there is this tension. Because the way we think and the way uh, things uh, thought that it was going to go would not go that way. And what the Bible tells us is also it's not, counter, uh, it's not intuitive either. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will gain, gain it in the end. Huh? I mean, how can you lose your life, but then you're going to gain it? Christ in me is to live and to die is gain. What dying is, how can that be gain? The last shall be first and the first shall be last. How can, when you are first, you are first. How can the last be first? Right. How does any of these claims make sense from the world's perspective? It doesn't. All these things that Christ talks about, the tenets that we really hold dearly, right? all these things make sense when you look at them from the biblical perspective that we do not truly belong here. We don't belong here. So we live in this tension. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are not really the citizens of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so all this is happening because we are living in this period of in-betweenness. So it's the kingdom of God has come through Christ, but it has not fully, the, the actual, like the, we have not yet seen Seeing this, uh, the full glory, right? So already and not yet. So that's the background, right? I want, I want us to kind of uh, have uh, here as we go through this uh, Advent season. Um, but let's go into the passage a little bit. Um, so the second point is about the virgin birth here. This passage talks about Christ's birth being announced to Mary by Gabriel. And, you know, but now before we go any further, I mean, we need to address an issue in this passage. You know, in <clears throat> excuse me, verse twenty, uh, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine, and he uh, and he came to uh, to Mary and said, "Greetings, O favored one; the Lord is with you." Right, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So Mary was, you know. Was so surprised that an angel would uh, visit visit her. She was humbled and puzzled that the angel should say that he was a uh, she was a favored one, right? 
And sometimes it is rendered full of grace. Right? Favor one, full of grace. And this word indicates that actually Mary received grace, or favored one means that she actually received grace. Not that, and it is not that she was a source of grace to other people. When Gabriel called her the favored one, right, she's not the source, but she's a recipient of God's grace. And I think it is important for us to understand this because, because of the difference between the Protestants like us and the Catholics, right? Because some uh, ancient uh, manuscripts of this passage uh, add, uh, it's not here in, in ESV, but in other uh, Bible verses, have, uh, versions have this. Uh, other uh, ancient manuscripts add the phrase, blessed are you among women. So in verse, at the end of verse uh, 28, you know, greetings, O favorable one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women, at the end of verse 28. So that is the, 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 uh, the, the translation for that phrase, but the Catholics translate that, uh, translate that phrase as blessed are you above all women. So there is that word, the Greek word. It can be either translated among or above. For us Protestants, because we do not consider merit to be somebody more special, we understand and uh, translate it as blessed are you among all women. Catholics, they say, Mary, blessed are you above all women, right? Elevating the status of Mary and calling her the Holy Mother of God, right? And they actually pray to Mary so that she may pray to God for us. But this is kind of problematic, right? I mean, why would you pray to her for anything when we can approach God on our own? When we can pray to God directly through the help and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, why do we need to pray to Mary so that she can pray to God on our behalf? Right? Why would we need to invoke the names of saints or Mary when we pray with the Protestants? You know, in, uh, so in the language of Martin Luther, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Okay, so I'm like, I know I'm throwing out a lot of these theological terms, the priesthood of, priesthood of all believers, right? Meaning, what, uh, what does it mean? It's meaning that we, we uh, all believers in Christ, we share in his priestly, uh, uh, priestly status by virtue of our union with Christ. Believer, um, priesthood of all believers, we are just like, we can actually function. We can, we can stand before God as if we are priests by virtue of our union with Christ. Therefore, there is no special class of people who, who will uh, mediate the knowledge and the forgiveness of Christ to the rest of the believers. All believers have that right and the authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of Scripture. There is no uh, special group of people for us, unlike the Catholics. You know, just like the medieval time and things, uh, there is that, uh, you know, the special class, like the Pope, Mary, 
Or even, you know, like that, when they do penance, right, they even just go to the priest and they just pray and just uh, repent and all these things. And then the priest has to hear, hear them out and they say, hey, reassure them of the forgiveness and speaking on behalf of God in that way. We don't pray to Pope, we don't pray to Mary, all these things, because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. When Christ came, he fulfilled the priestly role through his life, death, and resurrection. He did. Therefore, he was a final priestly figure and a mediator between God and his people. And we Christians now share in that role through him. Because we are one with Christ. Now we can approach God without priests, just like the way they did in the Old Testament time. Because Christ, through his death and, resu- uh, death and resurrection, he is done away with, he fulfilled that role, and because we are one with him. Do, do, do you get what I'm saying? Right? Um, but by God's grace, Mary was chosen to be the earthly mother of Jesus, but we should not elevate her as some uh, superhuman heroine. Right? It's like, whoa, we got to pray to her, venerate her in that way. Mary understood that the angel was not talking about the children that she would have in the course of her marriage to Joseph here. She knew that it meant something miraculous, birth, giving birth to a child without father, human father. The virgin conception is a very distinctive Christian idea, Christian truth, because you cannot find it anywhere else in, the, uh, in any religion, right? The son born to her would not merely be a human being. Somehow God would adopt him as, as his son, but truly and really, God's own son, whose birth would be brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this passage makes it very clear of this truth. And in verse 35, um, Gabriel, say, Gabriel says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born... Will be, called, uh, will be called holy, the son of God, right? The child would be holy. And since the basic meaning, actually, in, in the Greek word of this word is, uh, is separated unto God rather than morally upright, it can actually simply mean divine or, sh- or, or sharing in the nature of God. And that's what uh, uh, the angel was implying when he said this uh, son will be holy. He means he's separate unto God, and he participates, and he has that holy, uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the divine nature. He's God. That's what he's saying. And as we know, virgin birth was a necessity because anyone born through natural means would inherit that sinful nature ever since the Adam and, uh, Adam and Eve. Right? We all inherited the sinful nature. So had Jesus been uh, conceived naturally, he would have been born with sinful nature, and that would not have satisfied God's perfect demand, because he already has in his nature sinfulness. He would be born a, a, a sinner. So whatever that he has done afterwards would not matter, right? 
for him to be a perfect sacrifice, he had to come to us supernaturally by the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, and uh, the, the last point that I want to bring out to you here is, so all of this put together, the what is our proper posture during the Advent season, right? So what does all this talk about already but not yet, and all these things? What, is, what does this passage have anything to do with us living in, the, in this in-betweenness period, so I'm just going to try to uh, bring everything together. And it is that what I would like to point out is that actually this passage, right, it actually captures the essence of Christian faith. Ever since this incredible encounter, Mary, what she did was that she was waiting and she was hoping, reminding herself of the coming of the Savior because the, the angel came and announced this virgin birth. So ever since then, she's been waiting. She's been hoping for the Savior to come upon her and to the rest of us. So and for us who are living in, uh, in this uh, in-between period, this is a season that reminds us about this biblical practice of waiting and hoping. Waiting and hoping. And it is an, it's an appropriate posture for those of us who are broken and are in need of God's grace and mercy. We need God to heal us and to, rest, uh, and to restore us. And our sin has wreaked havoc, right? And destroyed our relationship with God. We all know that. But it did not just simply sever our relationship with God. It also dismantled our relationship with one another, right? Um, not too long ago, met uh, with with couple people, um, and one of the uh, without going into all the details, when I heard the story of this one uh, particular individual, it really just broke my heart. It was just such a heartbreaking story, what that person had to go through, and 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 and, and his family. Uh, it was this heartbreaking issue uh, that uh, that that uh, he was sharing, and um, yeah. And it was just also like, you know, it was just with, um, you know, like bunch of like uh, normal folks, but they were really hurt, right, by like the other Christians, right? Very hurtful. Our sin, sins in us really hurt, and it really like break other people as well. We receive, uh, we, we get broken, but we also just give hurt. We hurt other people too. And when we think about all these broken relationships and hopelessness in this world, right, it really it makes us scratch. Because, you know, this world is trying to still offer some sort of solution, right? Education is one, right? Hey, if you are well-educated, then that is your salvation, right? Be educated. Maybe some organization, UN, NATO, some may put their, all their trust and hope in political figures, maybe Obama, Biden, Trump, right? None of these things, right? None of these people can bring true peace and reconciliation because 
The root problem for us is our alienation from God. It's not circumstances, society, or anything like that. It is our alienation, our sin away from God, right? That is the root cause. And the solution that this world offers, it's fleeting, it's temporary. Only God, through Christ, can save us from our misery. So there is a story of, of this boy. He, um, he had a really severe burn, and he was put in a, an ICU because uh, and his life was at stake because he was burned so badly. Um, and uh, the school system of the, uh, of, the city, uh, of the city, they had a program for the children that were hospitalized so that they wouldn't uh, be, like, they wouldn't fall too far behind. They would send uh, these teachers that are in the program to be sent to the hospital, right, to kind of teach them uh, the subject so that they wouldn't fall far too behind. So one te- uh, this one teacher received a call, routine call, said, hey, can you go see this child? So he, uh, she, she talked to that, um, to the boys, um, you know, the school, you know, the homeroom teacher, Hey, so what's his name? You know, what, uh, what, does he need to, what does he need to learn? So the teacher said, yeah, uh, could you just go and talk to him about, or just teach him about, you know, nouns and adverbs so that he would not fall far too behind. So I said, okay. So she went, but they realized that she didn't realize how badly he was burning, how, like, serious his condition was. I mean, his life was hanging in the balance, that severe. And so she wasn't ready for that. She was really shocked, but, you know, what could she do? So she, she did what she could to teach that little boy nouns and adverbs. But coming back, she said, oh, man, okay, I didn't do a good job. She didn't know what she taught, because she was so shocked at the condition of this little boy, his life hanging in the balance, right? What could I have ever done? So she just kind of felt bad. And the next day, she had to go to the same hospital for a different child. But then uh, there was a nurse uh, stopped her as she was entering the hospital, uh, going to see another child. I said, hey, what did you do to that boy uh, yesterday? And the teacher said, oh, what, what, what did I, 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 don't, I don't know. I didn't really do I just try to teach him like nouns and adverbs. And, what? What's wrong? I mean, I, I did what I could. I said, did I do something wrong? And then the nurse said, no, 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 no. I don't know what you did, but ever since after you left, the boy's condition turned completely. And started, he was started responding to, to the treatments and everything, that, the medication that he was receiving. So it was, she was so surprised, so she actually uh, she stopped by and I said, hey, what, did anything happen? What did I do? And the boy, what uh, he said is, I was thinking, would the school send someone to teach, teach me nouns and adverbs if they thought that I was dying? Right? And so that, was, <laughs> that was his turning point, that that would not. So he had this hope right? that, hey, maybe if the school is, thinks that I am, you know, uh, I, have, I have a chance at life, Maybe I, I, I do have a chance at life. I mean, you know, this little boy, think, that's his way of thinking, right? Hope. Christian hope, as we talked about before, it's not just a wishful thinking. It is a certainty, but how? How is it a certainty? 
It is because of the cross and the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit reassure us of this certainty. That's like the security deposit. It's like, a, the, it's like a immovable, unrefundable, like it's like a down payment, right, that we have. What Christ has done for us on the cross, when he came, when he became flesh, came to us, lived a perfect life, and died for our sins, and then afterwards he resurrected. And after that, the coming of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and continues to testify to the truth of God's word, that's a sure down payment. It's a deposit that is showing us what is to come. That's why we are to be certain of this reality. Not just a wishful thinking. I wish this would happen, but it is a certainty. It's like almost like, you know, you as a high school, you know, like when we were waiting for to hear back from the colleges that we apply to. But once you receive that letter, uh, you know, saying that, hey, you are admitted, right? You'd be like really glad because you know that it's pretty much a guarantee because the school accepted you. So until that time, but, you know, it comes in the, usually the, you know, the uh, third or fourth uh, quarter uh, of your senior year. But the fact that you received that letter of, uh, you know, uh, admittance, uh, you know, you're being admitted, right? It's a sure certainty. So until that time, yeah, until, you know, late August, September, you are not it's a student of that college, but it's a guarantee that you will get into it. It's a certainty. You are not there yet, but for sure, right, you would get into that college. It is a certainty. But this is even more sure. Our hope in Christ and what is uh, when the Christ coming back is a sure certainty because of the cross and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we are called to do. We are called to wait on the Lord and to keep our hope because He, Christ, will come for us. I mean, life is hard, right? And life can be pretty cruel at times. But in the midst of all this, we wait on the Lord. And we continue to put our hope and trust in Christ. Because when he comes back, as he promised, he will make everything right. He will restore everything to the way it was supposed to be. The way he originally has designed it. This life as we know it is only a small part of the story there is this incomparably superior world coming, and that's where we belong. So this has to be our mindset during this season. We are used to broken promises, but Scripture tells us that God is not like that. The promise of the Messiah, the promise of the Savior has been given in the Old Testament, and God has fulfilled that promise in the New Testament. But there is still more to come. That Christ will return to take us home and make everything right. Until that time comes, we will do well to maintain this posture of waiting, waiting for him. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord, and take us home. And also to keep on hoping, keep on trusting him. It doesn't make sense. I don't know. There's things that are happening in my life. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't know if there's any really solution to what I'm going through. But we still keep on hoping 
knowing that God would come and would take us home, continue to hope and trust with a certainty that he will come for us. As he has done that through the first coming, he will come again. May that be our posture before him. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray. As we uh, go through this in-betweenness period, between his first coming and second coming, 